We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Top Dogs Podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. My name is Rob Doster. I got a lot of stuff in the pipeline for today's show. We were able to catch up with Donovan Klingon when I was up in stores last week. Fun conversation with the seven foot three monster Kling Kong himself. We talked about his foot injury. We talked about his rehab. We talked about his relationship with his late mother. There's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, it's always an enjoyable conversation when you get a chance to talk to Donovan Klingon. Um, before I get into the rest of this pod, though, you know what I got to ask. Please rate, please review, please subscribe to this anywhere that you listen to podcasts for absolutely free. The best way to support this channel, the best way to support the Field of 68, and the best way to support top dogs is simply with engagement. Rate, review, subscribe, like, do all of the stuff that you know makes us happy as podcasters. It is so important for those pesky little algorithms. All right. Uh, there's a lot to talk about today. Um, we had a secret scrimmage on Saturday, two days ago that we're not allowed to talk about. We have to pretend it didn't happen, but, uh, I talked to a few people that were in and around and involved with it. Uh, it was Virginia again. Um, and I've heard a little bit about what happened during the scrimmage, but, uh, I don't think I'm going to necessarily go into specifics about who won, who scored, who did this, who did that. The things about these scrimmages is that, uh, the final score just, it, it doesn't matter who, wins doesn't matter it's nice to win you want to win but these scrimmages are about coaches trying to figure shit out with their lineups right they're trying to figure out their rotation they're trying to try different stuff to see what works to see what doesn't work to see who plays well together there are times that you're going to run out lineups that uh, don't necessarily fit all that well just to see if it works there's going to be times that you roll out plays and you roll out sets and you roll out defenses that you're not going to use during the regular season because you want to see if it works. This is your chance to try stuff out behind closed doors in games that don't necessarily matter in situations where people aren't going to be paying attention and scrutinizing and talking about it on podcasts. And uh, I just, I think that the, I think we get too bogged down in the specifics about what happened in those scrimmages, as opposed to talking to the people uh, that are in and around and involved and trying to figure out bigger picture storylines that we can kind of take away. So I think that to me is just more interesting. And, and a lot of that perspective that I garnered is going to be 
uh, baked into the discussion that we have here about this team. And and look, I also I want to address all of this Cooper flag stuff that has seemingly popped up out of nowhere over the last 96 hours. We'll get to that after we hear uh, from Klingon. But first, all right, so I was able to go up last Monday and watch a practice. And I have lots of thoughts and I have lots of opinions and just from talking people to people around there i have some takeaways that i think are interesting and some insights that i do want to share here um and i've been saving them for this this podcast instead of you know posting them on twitter posting them on the boneyard or anything like that Uh, and i do think it's a great starting point for kind of what will operate as a season preview for this uh, program so first and foremost is i want to i want to say this at the start for my money Marquette is the best team in the Big East. I think Marquette is the favorite to win the Big East. They are the reigning Big East regular season champion. They are the reigning Big East tournament champion. They have the reigning Big East player of the year, and they bring back eight of the nine guys from their rotation from last season with a couple of guys that look like they're ready to take a big leap. For my money, they are closer to being in the conversation with Duke and Kansas as like one of the best teams in college basketball than they are with being like a top 10 kind of a team. Um, once you get past them, I think that UConn, I think that Creighton, I think that Villanova, and I think that Providence are all kind of jumbled into that same tier, right? There are going to be people that buy into the idea that Trey Alexander and Steven Ashworth and Baylor Shireman with Ryan Kalkbrenner at the five is going to be the best, uh, the best team in the Big East. There are going to be people that say, look, you give me Devin Carter, you give me Bryce Hopkins, and you give me a bunch of role players, that team is going to compete for a Big East title. There are going to be people that say there is just too much old veteran talent on Villanova to ignore. They are going to have a shot to win the Big East regular season championship. And there's going to be people that say, look, Dan Hurley just won a national championship. Um, He returns a fifth-year senior point guard he returns an all-american five man he returns a bunch of guys that really fit well uh as complementary pieces at two through four spots and they're going to be a team that can compete for the big east championship and i think all of that is true i think that the top five in the big east are all top 15 to 20 caliber teams how that all kind of plays out um i think will depend a lot on health will depend a lot on how players develop um will depend a lot on how Frankly, some of the freshmen, especially on this UConn roster, uh, how they look in February compared to what they look like in November. Um, but I, I do, I do think that it's Marquette, and then the rest of the field to me. And and look, I don't maybe that won't be me, won't make me super popular on this podcast, but uh, I think you guys listen to me because you know I give a valid opinion. I'm going to give an honest opinion, even if it's not the one that the homers uh, would necessarily want. So my first uh, biggest takeaway from watching the practice was that the intensity there has absolutely not changed. When we talked with uh, Dan last week, one of the things that he said he was trying to do was root out complacency. And I think complacency has been effectively rooted out. Yeah. there was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of cursing. There was a lot of uh, screaming. There was a lot of running the steps. There was a lot of everything that you would expect out of a college practice run by a Hurley was there. Um, It hasn't dropped off one iota. It's really entertaining to watch. Um, I know that they're doing this whole mic'd up thing. Uh, I would love for them to actually show an unedited version of what a mic'd up practice looks like. It's just a lot of, uh, it's very intense. It's it's an atmosphere where you're going to get better and you're going to compete and you're going to learn like how to, how to handle the stresses of being a basketball player. You know, I don't know what's worse having 6,000 um, students from 
Marquette scream at you while you try to take a free throw on the road or understand that if you mess up something in the drill, you're going to have Dan Hurley screaming at you. I don't know what's more worrisome. My favorite part of the practice was was after a play that Andrew Hurley made in uh, towards the end of the practice, like Dan was fired up about it, comes over, grabs him by the side of the head and does like one of those. It wasn't a full on like headbutt, but it was, you know, you put your foreheads together and you kind of push him away like that. And he was fired up and Andrew was fired up and all the guys on the team were fired up. And uh, I will tell you this. Those guys look like they're ready to run through a cement wall. I think that there's going to be a learning curve, and I'll get to that in a second, but they are certainly ready to uh, – the intensity level is there for what you would expect out of a Hurley program. Um, but my single biggest takeaway from the practice and and from uh, just kind of talking to people around there is that there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve with this season and, and the way that this is going to kind of develop. Like last year – the thing I think is really important to remember is that the pros on last year's team were veterans, right? Andre Jackson was a junior. Adama Sanogo was a junior. Jordan Hawkins was a sophomore. Um, this year, the the pros on the roster, if you will, um, are two sophomores and a freshman, right? And while I love Steph Castle, and I think he's going to be a terrific player at the NBA level, um, he's got a very, very bright future in front of him. The step down from Andre Jackson and everything that he did in that role to what Steph Castle is going to bring as a freshman. It's just, it's massive. Andre fucking Jackson was Andre fucking Jackson for a reason, but some respect on his name. Um, I also think it's worth mentioning this, you know, Joey Calcaterra last year was like the eighth or ninth man coming off the bench for UConn. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. He was a 23-year-old grad transfer um, that has been around, that had played at lower levels, that has experience, that has a certain level of toughness and maturity that comes with being a 23-year-old grad transfer. Um, this year, that role is going to be played by, what, Jaden Ross, who is a three-star freshman that has a bright future, but he's still very much a freshman that does freshman things. Um, and the staff loves him, for the record. I think that he's going to be a guy that's going to be really, really good down the road. He's long. He's athletic. He can shoot it. He's coachable. He knows what his role is supposed to be. He kind of fits that, like, three, four hybrid, switchable, positionless, whatever you want to phrase it as kind of a role. Like, he's a really good piece. But he's a freshman in a sport that is as old and talented as it's ever been at the college level. And uh, I think that that's something that needs to be remembered. Like it's it it's not it takes time with a lot of these freshmen. And I think with Jaden Ross, it's going to it's going to take a little bit of time before you see him be the guy that we want him to be. I wouldn't be surprised he played in the NBA one day. I think it's going to be after his junior year. Um the other takeaway was that you're not going to be able to rely on individual brilliance with this group as much as you did last year, right? Like Hawkins could go for 20 points in any given half last season. He impacted the way that you, you, you guarded them. He manipulated defense, like simply running off of a screen, changed everything and moved every single player on the court. That's not there this year. Uh, Andre Jackson was able to dominate games without being able to shoot, without needing to shoot. Right. I don't think you're going to be able to get that this year. Uh, I, I think Adama was as good of a post score as you're going to find at the college level. And that's not good. I don't think that's going to be there this year. Maybe it will be with Klingon. Um, I haven't seen him in the fall. No one's really seen him in the fall because of the dealing with the foot thing. Um, but I do think that this year, as opposed to individual brilliance, is going to be more about system and scheme and creating shots through offense and, and, uh, I think that there's enough talent there and ability to be able to do that, but it is something that is going to happen and it is a difference on the team this season. And like, look, if I'm going to be honest, I, I don't, I'm not that worried about how things are going to happen offensively. I, I think that the combination of Tristan Newton, Cam Spencer, Alex Caravan, Solo Ball, and Jaden Ross are going to be enough. You're going to have enough shooters there that the floor is always going to be spaced, right? I think that Klingon and Samson Johnson might actually be a little bit better as uh, shooters than people will give them the credit for. And they're both going to be terrific as vertical spacers. Like they're going to move defenses coming off of ball screens, rolling to the rim. Like you're going to have to tag. You're going to have to help. You're going to have to be in the right spot because you could throw the ball up above the square and both of them are going to be able to go up and get it. Um, Steph Castle is probably a guy that's not going to be a floor spacer. And Asan Diara is probably a guy that's not going to be a floor spacer. But those, if you have two non-spacers, um, on a floor uh, in a nine-man rotation, like I don't think that that is something that's really going to be that much of a problem. So I'm not really all that worried about what UConn can be offensively. I think that the creativity of that coaching staff and and the ability that is on that team should be able to um, should be able to be enough that they are competitive at the top of the Big East and competitive with basically any team in college basketball this season. What I'm worried about, as weird as it may sound, is on the defensive side of the ball, like. They lack a level of high-end athleticism that that I don't think has gotten enough conversation this offseason. Um, Tristan Newton and Cam Spencer are big. 
They're physical. They're also two guys that, like, if they ever dunk in a game, is something that you'll be really impressed about, right? Alex Caravan, um, really good player, really versatile, long, not a guy that you're going to sit there and look at him and say that is he's an elite level athlete, right? I think the nice way to say it is that they are all good positional defenders that are not at their best when guarding in space. Uh, Steph Castle is a really good athlete. He's also a freshman. Um, Asan Diar is an absolute dog. You know, I love the the change of pace when he's on the floor and, and, and kind of what he brings at the point guard spot. And I do think that Solo Ball is a guy that has the tools um, to to be a monster on the defensive end. It's Baltimore kid. You know how those guys are wired. But, you know, another guy, he's also just a freshman, right? It takes a while for freshmen to adjust. And, and Jaden Ross and Jalen Stewart, who we'll talk about a little bit later, I think are going to be plus role defenders uh, eventually, right? They both have the physical tools to do it, but freshmen are freshmen. And there's a reason why coaches love saying the best thing about freshmen is they become sophomores. To me, uh, Klingon is going to be the X factor on that. And like he is elite when it comes to being a drop coverage pick and roll defender. I think that his ability as a rim protector is something that we've talked quite a bit about, right? He almost averaged two blocks a game in 13 minutes a game last season. Um, I think he needs to prove that he can do all of this again without fouling, playing more minutes. I think he needs to prove the ability to be able to go 25 or 30 minutes in a game without getting tired. Um, but assuming all of that happens and, and, and you know, I, I think that that is a little bit of a, a jump to conclusions, uh, considering that he's basically been doing nothing but riding on a bike for the last three weeks and will probably be doing so for another week and a half, maybe two. Um because of the foot injury. Um, but if he is at his best, his presence in the paint will allow you kind of be really, really aggressive on the perimeter and overplay and try to get steals because all those guys know if they get beat off the dribble that you're not finishing around the bucket, right? Like that's the value of having a rim protector like that. You can get out and you can pressure, you can force drives to to the paint, and you can know that if they pull up and take a two-point jumper, that's the shot that everybody wants. And if they go all of the all the way to the rim, it's going to get put through the backboard by the seven foot three monster that they have back there. So uh I, to me, that's kind of if UConn is going to be a top 15 to 20 defense in college basketball this season, it's going to be because Donovan Klingon is one of the most impactful uh interior presences that you will find on the defensive end in the sport big news the almanac is officially back the most exhaustive and comprehensive guide to the 2023-24 college basketball season is available for pre-order now if you go to cbbalmanac.com link is in the description below you can pre-order for just $15.99 or 20 percent off the sticker price. The format is going to be a little bit different this season. Instead of an 850 page PDF, you'll be getting access to the full site with league by league PDFs available for download. The preview will be live on September 20th. So you have until then to be able to get your pre-orders in. So for insight for all 362 division one teams from their head coaches and the experts that cover them, make sure you hit that. Link. Um, all of that said, the big concern that I have with this team is going to be what happens when they go up against like perimeter oriented offenses that have a lot of really, really good guards that can make plays on their own, right? Teams like Marquette, teams like Villanova, teams like Providence, teams that have big guys that can pull Donovan Klingon away from the rim and force him to defend on the perimeter, not just as a pick and roll guy, but as someone that has to defend and also a Godaro. 
an Eric Dixon, a Josh Aduro. Um, I think if you space UConn out and pull Kling to the perimeter and then attack their guards, uh, that's how I would try to beat UConn if I was an opposing coach. And and there's enough good coaches in this conference that I am uh, sure that they are going to try to figure that out, right? Now, the silver lining there is that most of the teams with great guards that are built like that, like a lot of them are already in the Big East, right? And uh, the when you get to March, you're not going to be bracketed with those teams, right? Like you're probably not going to see another Big East team to what, the Elite Eight, maybe the Final Four if that happens, right? So I do think that there's an added benefit when it comes to March. Um, but I think that there's going to be times where you kind of watch UConn play in the regular season against some of these best, the, the best teams in the Big East, and you kind of say, oh, man, like I don't know how they're going to get it done. Like those are some tough matchups. So um, I don't know. That's just my thoughts overall on what this team is and the way that they're built and what we can see from them this season. Now, some specific thoughts on this group from the practice that I watched and and uh, a little bit, you know, talking with people that that saw the scrimmage as well. Um, I thought it was fascinating how Donovan Klingon seems to really be embracing and kind of uh, kind of leaning into this leadership role that he wanted. He was on the when I was there, he was on the exercise bike for probably 75 percent of the practice. And he was very, very vocal from over there back in the corner, screaming at guys on the other end of the court. Right. Um, one thing he did say to me as he walked by was he looked at me and goes, I should fucking be out there, um, you know, while walking around without a boot on rehabbing a stress fracture. So, uh, there's a little bit of lunacy involved there, which is something that I like as one staff member put it to me after the fact was quote, he's nuts. Well, if he's nuts, he's in the right place. And, uh, yeah, nothing's going to change my mind on there. I think that Asan DR is also taken on some of the, the the leadership responsibility and some of that vocal presence. Um, one of the things that I do believe is going, I, I said this way back in May, but one of the things I do believe is missing from this roster um, is that level of leadership. Like Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, and Adama Sunogo had so much ownership over this program and so much of a vocal presence in that locker room, in those practices that uh, it's going to be hard to replace that. And that's not a knock on these guys, but you know, it's people stepping into a role on the team that they were not in before. And that's not always the the most seamless transition. And it seems like, at least to me, uh, Diara and Klingon are two guys that really have kind of embraced that. Um, I also thought that Samson did some nice things in, in Klingon's presence. And, and from what I'm hearing and other people are hearing is that uh, he looked pretty good in the scrimmage against Virginia. Um, he made some shots on the perimeter, which I think will surprise some people. And he also had like two or three. How the fuck did that go in buckets around the rim? Um, one of them was also off a post up. One of them was uh, off a lob that was thrown to him that I, that was very impressive that he was able to get up to. Um, you know, a lot of that came against Yusuf Sangari in the paint, who I think is a couple of years away. But um, he's he's been pretty good outside of the three hours that I was able to witness. Uh, but we've talked about it enough. We know the importance of him and, and being a guy that can give you 20 something minutes or uh, give you 10, 15 minutes off the bench is for this team moving forward. Now, when it comes to castle, that dude can really, really pass. Like he sees the floor. He understands positioning. He's creative with the angles that he can create. Um, great vision, great understanding, great IQ on that end, uh, as a passer. Um, I do think he's a little bit risky with it at times and can be a little bit turnover prone. And and my major concern with him 
going forward is going to be how he impacts the game once defenses start playing him as a driver and as a passer, as opposed to a guy that is, you know, as a shooter and, and kind of as someone that's going to drive to score, right? Um, that fucked Andre up for a month last year. We all remember it. Uh, we all saw it. We all want to forget January, right? And um, and I I just Steph Castle is not what uh, freshman year Steph Castle is not what junior year Andre Jackson was, and he's not the athlete that Andre was. So I'm worried about maybe word is too strong, but like I I wonder how he's going to impact games when he gets schemed out of it when te- when teams start playing to the scouting report. So um, that'll be an interesting adjustment that that. You know, Hurley and this coaching staff is going to have to try to figure out. And uh, the other one, um, Tristan Newton, who is going to play the majority of the minutes at the point guard. We all know how important he is um, as a as a driver, right? He's big. He understands change of pace. He knows how to absorb contact. We saw all of this in the national title game when he had the little five foot eight dude on him, Darian Trammell. Um, I think he needs to be a 15, five and five guy this year. You know, he was 10, four and a half, four and a half last year. I think the scoring is going to be the biggest uh, thing that he needs to step up this year. I think that will come if he's a more efficient finisher in the lane and around the basket, um, especially if he's getting to the free throw line, man. Like that's that's one of his uh, best skills is to be able to get to the paint and draw fouls. Um, and I don't know if there's a ton of guys on this roster that 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 are that is great at that. Uh, I think Caravan is going to surprise some people as well. Like to me, you need those two guys to kind of be your two best weapons offensively. You know, Caravan's in his third year in college. He's a little bit older than most sophomores are. Um, and he kind of understands that he's an old head. And I do think that the four is an incredibly important spot in college basketball. Here's my biggest question with him, right? Like, obviously, he can't be a defensive liability. And I think he got a lot better towards the end of the season. And I think he needs to be more than just a catch and shoot guy offensively. And he was more than that by the end of last season. So was that the leap, right? Was that where he figured it out, put it together. And like from February until April was Alex Caravan playing his best basketball. Is there, or is there another step forward that he is going to take this season? Cause I think that he needs to take another step. I think he needs to be a guy that is a that averages 13 that is a threat to get you 20 on any given night that shoots 40% from 3 that is a guy that can get to the basket that can play off the bounce that can play off the dribble and if he is that if he takes a step forward uh, i think that would be huge for UConn offensively um Cam Spencer's got to stop punching stuff i think he hit like three or four chairs when i was in there he punched the back to get stanchion once he he punted one ball that nearly went it went up to the level above the, the where the the walkway is, and it went through the doors, and it almost went out the door uh, onto the street. Um, I guess that's something that happens every practice. He's very hard on himself. I think he needs to let some of that go. Last thing we need is a broken hand from Cam Spencer that comes because he was mad and punched a chair in practice. But um, he's got no lift at all. Uh, but that dude's got balls the size of a Pepe's pizza. So um, I'm not worried about him. He just kind of has to embrace. Uh, embrace who he is and his role. And I think he'll do that. I, you know, I am worried about what he is as a defender in isolation, but I think that he's good enough as a team defender and a guy that will get put on someone that is not a great dribble drive guy defensively. So um, I'm not super concerned about it, but it is something I wanted to throw out there. So uh, when it comes to the non-Steph Castle freshman, Solo Ball is going to be a monster. I think he's going to be so damn good. 
Um, I think the the you will mostly see it in his sophomore year, right? I think that we would we're going to see a similar career arc to uh, to Jordan Hawkins, um, bench guy this year. Going to have a couple big games this year. Next season, going to be like an all league kind of a guy in conversations to be an NBA draft pick. I mean, he's lefty, he's explosive, he's got a really nice little pull up game. There's going to be one game in February where he pops off for 20 and we're all going to lose our minds after it. Um, we talked about Ross a little bit already. I don't need to necessarily go back into that. Um, but it seems like he's kind of moved in front of uh, Stewie in the pecking order. Now, you can see the ability oozing off of Jalen Stewart. He, he he got into better shape when he was uh, in the last couple months. Uh, but I do think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to kind of figure out exactly what Hurley and the staff are looking for. Um, remember, he he arrived in, uh, on campus a month later than everybody else is, probably closer to five weeks later than everybody else did. He got hurt a little bit in the summer, um, so he's already playing a little bit from behind. And he's also one of these Seattle kids where there's a very real reputation that players from that city have um, in that they sometimes take a little bit longer to figure things out uh, once you get to the college level. And, and it kind of makes sense, right, because – Jamal Crawford is the guy that kind of takes all of those players under his wing. That is the uh, that is the guy that is out in the community. That is the guy that is helping some of these um, some of these talents uh, get to the places that need to be. Um, that he's their mentor, and they all embrace it, right? But then think about what Jordan Crawford was as a player. Like, there's nobody that is more of an an individual that is more unique in terms of their artistry, right? Like, I don't think that what Jalen, that what Jordan Crawford, I'm sorry, Jamal Crawford was as a basketball player is necessarily something that can be replicated, right? Like he's one of a kind, he's special. Um, and I mean that in all the most complimentary ways, but when that is the guy that is kind of mentoring some of these young kids, it could take them a little bit of time to, figure out what it takes to be in a more structured environment and a more coached environment. And that's exactly what I think we're seeing with, uh, with, with Jalen Stewart. But look, he is like, he's six, seven. He is solidly built. He's built like a D end. He's that exact kind of three, four combo that everybody is looking for. He can guard a little bit. He's aggressive going to the glass. Like he is a powerful, uh, finisher. Um, he, he just, he has a presence about him on the floor. He knocked down a couple threes when I was there. Uh, but you could see moments where like he missed a rotation when they're doing some five on old stuff to kind of learn the offense. He's one of those guys that's getting yelled at because he maybe missed uh, what the play was supposed to be. So I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to get there. But, you know, sophomore year, junior year, I, I think we're looking at solo Jalen Stewart and Jaden Ross as being guys that are going to be two to three year guys that are going to be really, really good before they leave. Uh, one last note. I got to shout out um, Apostolos uh, Ramaglu because he shoots the absolute piss out of it. I think he was like six for six in the live action scrimmages that I was watching shooting threes. And I mean, look, he's six, eight. I don't know where he fits in the rotation because defense is not something that like he seems very good at doing, but if injuries force him into minutes, like it's not a bad thing, man. Cause he's, he's got one very useful skill set that, uh, that I think Hurley would, be able to use so i wouldn't be surprised if he you know saw some minutes here and there and, and was someone that kind of snuck into the back end of the rotation all right enough of all that conversation let's get into that interview with the man himself donovan Klingon. now let me welcome you back to another episode of the top dogs podcast here on the field of 68 and if you can't tell i'm joined today by uconn all-american donovan Klingon. donovan let's start with the obvious question the foot 
You missed practice for about two weeks now, but you weren't in the boot today when I saw you play. How's the foot doing? How are you feeling? Uh, foot's feeling good. Um, you know, the rehab process has been going well. Um, you know, the pain's starting to go away, which is, you know, a good sign. Um, you know, it's just trying to get pain-free before I start doing things and, you know, just, just trying to get back for game one. So what what was the actual injury? Yeah, I um, had a strain of muscle and slight stress fracture in my fourth my fourth toe of my right foot. And you're feeling better? Yeah, getting back there? Great. You're going to yeah. be playing first game? Yeah, that's the goal. That's, that's the plan. Goal. That's, that's the plan. plan. So you are a Connecticut kid. Um, what does it mean to you to be able to bring UConn back to what it was when you were growing up, what it was when I imagined the first time that you kind of watched the Huskies play? Yeah, I mean, you know, to be from Connecticut and be able to, you know, wear a Connecticut jersey every single day is a blessing to me. And, you know, just to be able to put on for, you know, the state that I grew up in and, you know, that raised me to the person I am today. And, you know, just just means a lot. You know, UConn culture, the UConn, you know, legacy of you know now we're five-time national champions so you know just to be able to be a part of that and to contribute to that and you know leave my name and you know legacy and hopefully to to keep it going so Khalid Elamine was the guy the star my favorite player when I was growing mm-hmm. up who was your your guy my favorite probably Ray Allen Ray? Guy. yeah loved Ray. yeah everybody loved Ray yeah. um you came back to school you had the opportunity to consider mm-hmm going to the NBA. I'm sure you heard people saying you got a chance to be a first round pick. And it felt like it was like within a week or two that you were like, no, 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 look, I'm coming back to school. What, why one, why was it that decision so quick? And two, did you hear anything from, um, from the league when you were making that decision? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I knew that I still need another year of development for my body and, you know, just as just on the court, Um, you know, obviously I played behind Adama last year Mm -hmm. and I feel like, you know, I just wasn't, I mean, I obviously was able to you know, show all my talents, but this year, you know, I feel like I wanted a bigger role. You know, I wanted to have the leadership role of, you know, trying to lead this team to try to go win another national championship. So, you know, I was, I was excited for that. And, you know, I just, yeah, I mean, you know, just, uh, just want to come back and have the role of being a leader and trying to help, you know, put another banner up on the wall and, um, you know, I just feel like just need another year to mature and, you know, just build my body and you know, expand my game. Do you feel any pressure? I mean, look, Adama Sanogo tournament, uh, MOP, all American, you're stepping into that. Like UConn is known for their big mm-hmm. guys and you're mm-hmm. stepping into that board. Are you, is it pressure? Or are you kind of excited about the opportunity? I'm excited. You know, it's just such a big program, uh, you know, such a big place to play. And, you know, just to be able to, you know, have the role that I'm going to have this year, um, you know, I'm just not going to take advantage of it. I'm going to give it everything I got every day. And, you know, I'm just going to try to fill, fill Thomas shoes. And if not try to exceed and do more than he did, um, you know, I'm trying to put another band up on the wall and, you know, I was on the team last year, so I kind of know what it takes to, you know, make it to that, <laughs> yeah, make it to that level. There. So, you know, it, it's a lot. And, you know, I've, I saw what Adama did and, you know, I feel like I know what it takes. So he well, obviously but, left with a year of eligibility left. How much, was there any conversation there? Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I told Dama, I told Coach. I mean, if Dama came back, I'm not leaving. You know, I knew Coach is such a such a good coach, and you know, he could build a build a game plan no matter what. So I knew even if Dama came back, he'd still find a way to put us both out on the floor, and you know, he'd find a way to you know make it work that you know both of us could be on the court at the same time. So before we get into to this year's team and and, and some of my uh, questions about you know some of the new pieces that you guys have, um, I want to ask you about your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, she passed away when you were in high school. I think people kind of know that story, but yeah. I feel like grief is not a—it's not a linear process, right. right? And it 
does feel like you're starting to do more things to kind of honor her. You wear her uh, her jersey number, right? You had the picture with the recruit right. um, where you guys both wore your yeah. mom's jerseys. Exactly. Are you? Do you feel like you've kind of reached a point where you um, you can do that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I you know after she passed away, I feel like you know my goal was just to you know make her proud, and one way to do that was on the basketball floor. So, you know, I just wanted to. You know, expand my game and you know make it to the highest level possible to make her proud. And you know, after we won a national championship last year, I feel like that was definitely something that, you know, was some I could say. You know, I made her proud from that, and you know, I feel like I was able to after that. You know, just kind of you know, reflect her and you know just show everyone what she meant to me. You went to her Hall of Fame induction, right? Yeah, did that already happen? Yeah, that was in Maine. Uh, what did two weeks ago? What did that mean? How special yeah, was it? Yeah, it was special, you know, just to see the legacy she she built at Maine and everything she did and all the success she had. Um, you know, it, it just meant a lot to me, and it made me happy to see you know how special she was at that university. So you're a you're a veteran now, right? It's only your second year here, but there's a lot of young guys <laughs> yeah. on this roster. How, how has your role changed? Yeah, I mean, you know, going from the guy who was just like fighting in practice, trying to get on the court every day. Um, you know, to, to be one of the leaders on the team is it's a big jump. But you know, I'm willing to take, you know, take the risks or do whatever it takes to, you know, be the good leader. You know, I was with one of the best leaders that you know basketball was last year. Uh, um, Andre Jackson. You know, he was the best leader anyone could you know ask for. So you know, just to have him leading us, I feel like I learned a lot and you know saw a lot, and I feel like that definitely. It's going to help me, you know, be a leader on this team this year. Who's going to surprise us this year? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have a lot of, a lot of young guys. Um, you know, Javon Ross, you know, Steph Castle, uh, Solo Ball is very good. Jalen Stewart, um, you know, Cam Spencer can shoot the ball well. You know, all the returning players, you know, just expand their game. You know, Samson. You just name everybody. I mean, yeah, I mean, we got a good team, man. I'm, I'm excited about this year. Um, you know, I just don't want to leave anyone out. You know, we got a special team and, you know, we can do special things again. All right. I got three questions yeah. to end this. We're going to mm-hmm. start. I know you're a Connecticut guy. Mm-hmm. Sally's, Peppies, or Modern? Ooh. I like, I like Peppies. Peppies? Yeah. Best environment to play in in the Big East. You can't say anything in the state of Connecticut. Um, oh, I mean, MSG. <laughs> there you go. I, I didn't. I meant now that UConn has three home courts. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Um, best atmosphere. I, I like Marquette or Xavier. They Marquette. Got, yeah, they got Marquette Xavier. Yeah. All right. And now, last one. You see all these names and faces up here on the wall. I need your all-time UConn starting five. Oh wow. Uh, I have to go. Kemba, Ray Allen. Do we have to dock points since he's cheating and looking at the wall? I mean, like, it's just hard because, like, you, you can make so many different. That, so, yeah, that's, well, that's a good question. Mecca. Yeah, I go with Dre Jack because, I mean. You got to put him on there. You got to put him on there. Just why not? I'll go. I'll put Rip on there, too. Put Rip on there, too. Yeah, yeah there you go. Not? Listen, Donovan, appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. Push. You gotta love Kling Kong. All right. Cooper Flag. Um, I have no idea where the rumors came from this weekend. I have no clue how we went from Cooper Flag is probably going to end up at Duke to having his official visit completely overrun with rumors that he is going to commit to UConn, that uh, Duke fumbled the bag, that Duke did this, that Duke did that, that Duke did this. Um, 
everyone that I've spoken to uh, tends to believe that he's still going to end up going to Duke. Um, I don't believe that there is anything drastically different today than five days ago, than two weeks ago, than a month ago. But um, yeah, everyone I've talked to still thinks that it's Duke and that it's probably going to end up being Duke and that that's probably not going to end up changing. And uh, while the flag family has been pretty closed off for when it comes to media attention and to an, and, and, and to doing interviews and, you know, in large part because uh, there was one outlet that did an interview with him where when he listed um, players that he likes and players that he models his game after, uh, they only mentioned the two Duke players. And so everybody assumed that he was uh, he was going to Duke. Um, and that was something that did not make them very happy. So they have uh, kind of gone away from the media attention and the interview uh, route since then. Um, but none of the recruiting experts that I've spoken to or media people I've spoken to seem to be thinking that like he could end up at UConn either. Like, so I, I don't know where this came from flag went on his official to Duke. It seemed like he had a great time on his official at Duke before he went on his official to Duke. He canceled his official to Kansas. As far as I know, as of this recording, um, he has no other official visits scheduled. So I don't know what to tell UConn fans. Um, I appreciate the desire for you guys to speak his commitment to the Huskies into existence. Uh, and at minimum, I think that all of the shit posting that has happened over the course of the last 96 hours has been wildly entertaining and a lot of fun to watch and getting, uh, seeing, seeing what some of the biggest UConn fan accounts can do to Duke fans and seeing them, learn why Providence fans get in such a tizzy and Marquette fans get in such a tizzy and why everybody seems to hate the UConn Twitter populace has been uh, very entertaining to follow. But as far as I know, nothing has changed. I still think Cooper flag is going to Duke. Um, I don't even think I would change the percentage on the likelihood. It just, I think that's what it's going to end up being. I think he's going to play at Duke. He looks exactly like John Shire. What do you expect? But uh, listen, anyway, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. This has been the Top Dogs Podcast. Please rate, review, do all of that fun stuff. And uh, hopefully, hopefully next week I can have a good episode for you and something fun. I'm working on it. We'll see if we can end up getting there. But uh, we have another interview. I think we'll go with Alex Caravan on, uh, on on next Monday's podcast on Top Dogs. So until then, go Phillies.